literally an institution in this town of digging up old photos, old stories, collections, everything you can imagine under the sun about this great city. Greasy spoons, dives, old clubs. If you love this city, you're going to love it even more. Real people, real stories, real places. This is the Austin Found Podcast. Welcome back to Austin Found again. It's great to have you. I'm J.B. Hager. And I'm Michael Barnes. With the Austin American Statesman and Austin 360. Here it is. It's April 2021. In March, just this past month, Austin lost two very, very iconic women. Historic women. Yeah, we'll start first with the civil rights icon, Bertha Sadler Means, who lived to be 100. I know you love people who live to be 100. <laughs> I've got a story uh, coming out in the paper on, on Sunday on a 102-year-old veteran, East Austin native, Alfred Dotson. But we'll save that for another episode. Okay, okay. First, let's talk about Bertha Sadler Means. You may recognize that name with a school with that namesake. Yes, the Bertha Sadler Means School for Young Women Leaders, which is paired with the Ann Richards School for Young Women Leaders. But she grew up in a, in a small... I love looking up where these towns are when I don't know. Usually when you name a Texas town, I usually know where it is. I didn't know where Valley Mills That's right. Was. It's on the Bosque River. It's west of Waco, and it was a post-emancipation freedom colony, which was founded by her grandfather. And uh, she has lots of memories of Valley Mills, but she actually grew up in Waco and went to high school in Waco. And she was an athlete and a scholar, you know, had a great sense of humor and just a fearless woman, fearless woman. Uh, It was great spending time with her before she passed. But she arrived in Austin to go to segregated Houston, what was to become Houston Tillotson University, got off the train and hailed a cab, and the cab driver said, I can't take you beyond East Avenue. Which is I-35 today. Yeah, and luckily there was a Royst taxi cab nearby, and she could get a ride with the Hispanic cab company. And coincidentally, or maybe not, she and her husband eventually founded Harlem cabs, which became Austin cabs. Do you think with the the racism she dealt with on day one here, in the back of her mind, she said, someday I'm going to own a cab company and fix this problem? I don't know if she thought that, but I do know that she had grown up with Jim Crow and segregation, so she knew what it was, and she stared it down often enough and eventually became one of the leaders of, of desegregation in the city. What ignited her to protest and to work on the the segregation problems was as a mother she had dealt with it her whole life but when she saw her kids being denied access to playful activities right around town she was like enough yes what were some of those things well for one thing her daughter uh who is somebody of great courage herself and a leader in her own right had participated in uh, swim-ins at Barton Springs Pool where she accompanied her white friends and they would just walk in and break the rules. But the, the incident, the day that really set Bertha Sadler Means off was she had been turned away from a driving range. She played golf until she was in her mid-90s. She was amazing. 
but she got turned away from a driving range the same day her kids got turned away from a skating rink. So that skating rink became the nexus for protests, ongoing protests, about all the segregation in public facilities, from the Paramount Theater to uh, parks, and it was a drive that ended up being successful. And her kids were all highly successful, too. Which A lot of them are. Some of them went into the cab business. The daughter went off to Africa to study and to, to teach. Her son, Katsu Kabele, uh, who recently passed at way too young an age, uh, he founded the Kabele School, which is now the Headwaters School, which is a school that it focuses on global education. Yeah, this was her grandson, their grandson. Their grandson, yes. But yeah, this, my daughter spent a year at that school. Oh, really? And uh, I've heard good things. She was, she was heartbroken when she heard about his passing. He was, he was pretty amazing. So big imprints on this day. I mean, mom left an impression on these kids to do, to do great things. Right. What were some of the other organizations that she dedicated a lot of her time to? She was very much interested in St. James Episcopal Church, uh, which she co-founded with her husband and others in 1941, I believe, and they remained loyal to that church. And it was one of the first integrated churches in East Austin. And she was, of course, very much involved in the school system where she taught. And there are, are a lot of really outstanding clubs and social groups working for change and have been for decades in East Austin, and she was probably in all of them. And she did make one run for Austin City Council. <laughs> didn't get there, but... Yeah, she lost, but she didn't care. And, and that was one of the things I liked about her. One of the things she said early on was, I grew up playing Sandlot football. Somebody knocked you down, you got up, you pointed in their face, and you said, I'm going to get you next time. <laughs> and that was the way she treated the rest of her life. And she had a highlight in her life at the uh, Democratic National Convention as That's well. Right. Right? She was a grandmama for Obama. <laughs> <laughs> Self, she, she literally says, I love that. Great grandmama for Obama. Great grandma for Obama. I love that. Now, another woman that we're going to talk about that we lost this this previous month that those who don't know, a lot of us people listening, you know, they know Michael Barnes as the historian, right? But you have a very rich theater history and love and passion and, and as an educator in that as well. And so I imagine that Teresa Lozano Long was a dear friend. We weren't close, close, but we sat down, down together many times. She could be a little distant with the press. and She was shy. When she and her husband, Joe Long, spoke in public, generally he took the microphone. However, in a setting like a boardroom or a setting like uh, a social setting, she sparkled. She was outgoing. She was warm. She was sweet. She was always looking after your welfare she just didn't have that big public presence that Joe had. And the connection to theater, I, I you know, imagine you were thrilled with the massive donation that the Longs made, which you everyone's probably familiar if you've been here for a minute with the Long Center. The, the Longs have given their names. Um, they, by the way, they're given away hundreds of millions of dollars, and they both grew up dirt poor in small town Texas. We'll get to that story. But when they gave more than $20 million to the Long Center for the Performing Arts effort, at the time, I was quite skeptical 
that it could be built because we had never built in this city anything that costs that much. I mean, it was projected to cost eighty million. It probably cost well over a hundred million. And I remember at that about that time, you know, living in Austin, and when you would see these rank cities for different mm-hmm. reasons. In the last decade, we've been on the top of everything pretty much, but. But back then, this would have been uh, mid-90s for me, and just before this happened, we would get negative marks for arts. Well, we weren't as strong as, as a lot of major cities. We, we did not have a history of philanthropy. We didn't have a history of money at all. We, in, until the 90s, with the Delineers and the, and the tech revolution, this was a city that just didn't have the wherewithal to build a traditional arts community. We had one. We had the talent, we had the energy, we had the activity. We just didn't have the buildings or the managers or the culture of philanthropy. And the lungs helped change that. Their names are on a medical center in San Antonio, on uh, the Center for Latin American Studies at the University of Texas. They have done so much. Joe was president of the, the symphony for a long time. And anything Joe did... It was really Teresa, too. They were quite a team. And what's amazing about it, too, you do hear about a lot of big family donations, but it's generations of money. Right. Let's get down to uh, first telling people where Premont, Texas is. <laughs> <laughs> if that's the way to pronounce it, I don't know. It's, it's in South Texas near Alice, Texas, uh, and, and she grew up on a dairy farm. If her mom got sick, they drove hours in an unair-conditioned car to San Antonio to see a doctor, and they couldn't set up appointments because they didn't have a telephone. And Joe met her after she'd come to UT and gotten her undergrad degree while she was teaching phys ed in Alice, Texas. And he came from a small town, again, with no money. She ended up getting her doctorate in phys ed, and he got his law degree And then their money came from the banking industry. He was able to put together banking stock that allowed them to be as generous as they were. He's still alive, by the way. I don't want to make it sound like he's passed as well. They always said, when we make enough money, like it's going to happen, right? When we, the rest of us go, if we make enough money, (laughs) people like this say, when we make enough money. Uh, we need to help the people of Texas, right. and they spent a lifetime doing that. They did, and she was nationally recognized. She got the the Medal of, for Humanity from the president. She was on the steering committee for the National Endowment of the Arts. She had a a national presence, and they built a beautiful home, or they renovated a home, an old infield, an old mansion, and primarily to display their museum quality collection of art. Oh, I'm glad you, I, I, w- I almost forgot about that, because yeah. that house caught on fire. It did. Now, they had moved out of it by then, and the art had been auctioned, and the house had been auctioned as well, and was being renovated by the new owner, and there was a late night fire a few weeks ago, which I hear from mutual friends, it really is saddened, doubly saddened Joe, because, you know, he lost his wife, and he lost this project that they worked on for a long time with great care and love. Their contributions to the city added up to over $150 million. I mean, True. it's just remarkable. It's just remarkable. What were some of the other notable donations? What were, the, what were they for? What was their passion? 
education was number one always uh, a, a lot of what they gave went to the ut system so not just ut austin but uh, in south texas as well you know they gave to the ballet they gave to all kinds of oh this wonderful group that teaches kids who don't have access to musical education how to play symphonic instruments wow, things yeah, like that's that that's a good one they were uh, a sweet couple and joe had a and has a a sense of humor that is gets under your skin it's funny i remember he always would say when the long center was built he, the first thing he'd say to me whenever we came up to each other was you didn't think we could do it did you <laughs> <laughs> and i had said no i did not yeah. Again, when I think about these stories that you share of these people that are now mm -hmm. up there in the years, and I always mm -hmm. think, uh, when we get back to normal uh, mm -hmm. lifestyle here after the pandemic, it's like, oh, what if that person's sitting next to me at a cafe or something like that? Yeah. There's people that have done amazing things around Austin. Now, also, I know you wanted to add some other notable Austinites that we have lost in Re recently. Texans and Austinites, Larry McMurtry never an Austinite that I know of, grew up in Archer City in North Texas near Wichita Falls, you know, which was the inspiration for Last Picture Show, which the locals hated at first because it gave away all their secrets. Mm. But by the time one of the sequels came out, Texasville, I think, they, they were ready to embrace it. He uh, taught and went to school at Rice, and so some of his books that became movies like Terms of Endearment are set mostly in Houston, and he was known for really setting the Texas literary world on fire. He was also known for his fantastic, vast books, used bookstores in Archer City. There was an essay that he wrote about how most of Texas literature was trash because we all we wrote about was Texas myths. Of, Glamorize you know, everything. <laughs> yeah. And then he turns around later in his career and writes the best western ever uh, lonesome dove and i've read that at least three times mm. and of course the screenwriter for that was bill whitliff and we recently lost him too great larger than life guy namesake along with his wife sally for the whitliff collections down in texas state university in san marcus fantastic he wrote these three sweet strange Mark Twainsian novels at the end of his life before he passed. I just adored him. And he was a movie producer as well, an incredible poker player. He claims to have paid his way through UT playing poker. <laughs> and he reminds me a lot of someone else who died recently, and that's Bob Daddio Wade, who was this larger-than-life visual artist who created these giant iguanas and horny toads that were often put up on buildings and and they were for a period of time when there was this trend of texas chic mm -hmm. after um were those the toads we had up at the arboretum at one time possibly the same i'm toads. talking about stuff from like 30 years ago <laughs> no 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 that's that's i mean he was they were good. on display there yeah were they big giant yeah industrial yeah. material uh, i think so yeah well they were probably his I probably spent more time with him than any of these other people because he was very social. And when I was on the social circuit, he'd always come up to me with this giant, goofy smile and a big laugh and tell great stories. And he was working on a book when he died. And his 
wife and friends got it into print, and, and I'm just about to read it, called Bob Daddy O. Wade's Book of Big-Ass Art. <laughs> That's a great I just name. love the title. <laughs> I need to get and that. And apparently, I'm listed as one of the writers. <laughs> really? And I was like, what? I had nothing to do with this project. Because they used stories that I had written as part of, you know, the, the makeup of the book. They didn't tell me in advance, you know. Like, mm. But I, I was pleased to be able to, to be a part of a project that honored him. He's a great guy. We'll wrap this up, but it must be very... Very bittersweet for you to when these people pass, these iconic right. people, because you you got to spend time with them and and write about them, and then it these must hit you like gut punch you sometimes. They do, and the the thing that you have to remember is that when I'm writing their obituaries, you know, and it's the day of, the day after, is. I have to have a lot of emotional discipline. It's only been a couple of times where I said, I just can't do it. I, mm. I can't. I'm mourning, mm -hmm. actively mourning. So, yeah. but the other thing that helps is that I've written about them during their lives and I've spent time with them and, and done profiles of them. And that makes it a lot easier to be professional about it and to listen to the people who are mourning and listen to their stories. Sometimes the deaths are expected and sometimes they come out of the blue mm -hmm. and they're just tragic. But anyway, yes, it, it, it has been a great privilege to get to know these people and I treasure my time with them and uh, they're famous Austinites I spent almost no time with. So, yeah. But I've had access as a journalist and that's the journalist's greatest tool and greatest privileges access um, being able to talk to just about anybody and ask them questions and hear their stories and pass them along oh, we appreciate your work and everyone listening to this is, appreciates hearing these stories verbalized too so thank you for your time Michael this is Austin Found you can write to Michael at mbarnes at statesman.com or jhager at statesman.com thanks for tuning in to Austin Found happy trails